Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. It's that time of year again. We as Minnesotans band together, and I will tell you the story of our people. That I think I have hold, told before, but Emily really enjoys this, so I will tell it again. <clears throat> we wake at dawn because we can no longer sleep through the cold in our houses, the snow falling in clumps the size of baseballs. Wind gusts shake the windows and icicles hang from the ceiling. We put on two pairs of boots, the regular boot and the government Minnesota boot, which everyone receives before the first snowfall of the year. The Minnesota boot has six-inch spikes to walk through the sheets of ice that cover our land. Only the eyes are left exposed to ensure that the cold of winter does not permeate our snowsuit, which, which we make of old tarps and pillowcases stuffed with newspapers. They are all blaze orange so we can find the bodies of the frozen dead that litter our sidewalks. We travel in packs for safety, but if one falls, he or she is left behind to form a new pack or is eaten. We walk together in hordes, blinded and freezing, climbing small mountains of snow and ice until we see it in the distance. Target. The red sign is our winter sun, and it shines like a beacon across the horizon. We stumble toward it, rolling the last 20 feet across the parking lot because our legs have gone numb. When we make it through the doors, emergency crews are there to wrap us in heat blankets and give us Starbucks. Some never make it this far. It is a perilous journey, but one we must make. Together, from November to April, we are strong, we are cold, we are Minnesotan. Personally, I, I still think, I think I said this last time I read it, but it should be Caribou. <laughs> because that's a Minnesota coffee company. I straight up, I muted myself. Because I was, I, know, I, saw you like, I was out. laughing. I was going, God fucking like I was I was having I'm like, I don't want to limit the full range of emotions that reacting to this requires. So I just muted myself and went for it. I love it. I love that. And I understand that Starbucks is in every target, but yes, caribou is our coffee company. Right. Like, come on. Like that's our Minnesota thing. Um, I will say, like, I did not write this. This was, like, a random Reddit post years ago that I still have saved. Um, and Emily kind of, like, hinted at it with the blaze orange in last episode. So I was like, yeah, we're in the middle of a snowstorm. I'll, I'll, I'll read the Minnesota story. You know, it's funny is because another thing about being Minnesotan, and I feel like in a broader sense, Midwestern, is that we will not shut the fuck up about the weather. No. We'll complain about how cold it is. We'll complain about how hot it is. We'll complain about, you know, it would be nice if it just wasn't for the wind. God damn it. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the wind. Um, But I I was at PetSmart picking up some pet food and it was so funny because the, 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 checkout person was talking to the person in front of me he was like oh you're getting ready for the snowstorm like i guess we can't really complain because this is the first real snow that we've gotten oh yeah not only this year but th- the only snow we've gotten really was on halloween and that was nothing yeah it was we, got, like we had a dusting. great christmas like this it is, was raining this is on insane. christmas it was horrible but what I'm saying is, like, we never have gone this long without snow. Like, this is really unusual. And for us to get a snowstorm now, it's kind of like, 
Well, now things are normal. And so when I got to my turn in line, I was like, isn't that one of the best parts about being a Minnesotan mm. though, is that no matter what the hell the weather is doing, we can complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you're right. You're right. And it's fantastic. Yep. Yep. It's funny because I used to think talking about the weather was like just boring small talk, but now I'm actually very passionate about my opinions of the weather and what it should be and how it's not meeting my expectations. That's sad and funny at the same time. So who are you? What do you mean? Who am I? Well, we, we didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't introduced anything. This is whining about oh. history, the women's yeah. history podcast where Longtime Minnesota gals, uh, Emily and Kelly, talk about women from history that you probably haven't heard of and complain about the weather because we are Minnesotan. Well, I guess technically Emily's a transplant, but whatever. I, you know what? I'm I'm a a child of the corn, but I'm also a daughter of the north. I'm Midwestern through and through. Also, I act more Minnesotan to overcompensate, so... I, Remember I think I told you this. I'm like, I'm pretty sure your boyfriend, who is not a native Minnesotan, says like, oh, and you betcha more than any other person I know. It's like he's overcompensating. He does. And I love it. Like, I I literally uh, for Christmas, not this last year, the year before, got him a mug that said ope and had the definition and like different ways to use ope. No. And I love it. I love it. But so yeah, much. I just every time he says it, I'm like, I swear to God, you say it more than like normal Minnesota. <laughs> my my Minnesota ism or like Midwestern saying, first of all, I'll say spendy. And I actually have gotten Q to start saying it. She's nine and I'm teaching her right. Um, Because I'll be like, oh, well, you know, like I'll go shopping with her. I'll be like, oh, well, that's kind of spendy. And then she'll describe something and be like, oh, it's a little spendy. And I'm like, yes, yes, child. <laughs> <laughs> give in to the dark side but i also say oh just gonna sneak past you there yeah i, I do that one I definitely. that's my I, I i say it all the time and i catch myself saying it i'm like you know what just accept it it's who you are now you are you're you're deeply insecure North. about taking up space in the world all right. So again, we are recording remotely because it's snowbageddon outside, which we shouldn't complain about because it's like do. mid-January and we're just getting snow, but we're going to anyway because it's our fucking right. <laughs> so I fuck you. No, I'm kidding. For your rights to complain. Accurate. So Kelly, what are you drinking tonight? Water. Grape flavor. Water. Hold on. Hannah's eating the bed. I knew she was going to eat and I need to take it away. Hold on. Okay. Well, talk about will, what you're drinking and I will be I right will talk back. about what I'm drinking. Um, so last week I told my harrowing story of tripping outside of Target and shattering a bottle of wine and then having to do the walk of shame back into Target to ask them to replace it because I really wanted the wine. Uh, but what I also had with me was a small four pack of Capricio Red Blend Sangria. And these were in little glass bottles and they mercifully did not break when I ate shit on the sidewalk. So I am sipping on one of those and it's really good. Is it? Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty good. It's a lot more carbonated than I thought it would be, um, but I like it. 
Well, good. I, I, I like it. I like a sangria. I, my, my favorite is probably the Costco sangria, though. I know yeah. we've had that before. That is, and that, that is some is, of my favorite sangria. It's so good. It's just juice. It's just boozy juice. And I love it. This, this this has a bit of a bite to it so you know you, you can't just chug it in the way that I kind of want to right now but it, it's fine that's good you'll figure it out responsibility <laughs> responsibility Emily so Kelly um before we so first of all I'm not going to ask what we're cheersing to. I'm going to give us what we're cheersing to. It's going to kind of double as a say their name, but I'm not going to use a name and everything will make sense in a moment. Okay. So um, I have a friend who, and I've talked about her on the podcast before. She adopted her son from China and he's been, he's been doing awesome. Their family is, is wonderful. They're so loving. They're such wonderful parents. He's such a cool kid. He's in dinosaurs and like history. And I'm just like. You're like, yes. yes, you are the coolest fucking kid. And they were planning on adopting another another little boy from China. And they had their tickets. They like they went through the whole process. Um, my my friend was even researching like. Um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on the word. I've been drinking too much. Um, what, what, what are the, the fake limbs? Papa prosthesis prosthetics prosthetics um because he uh he had is you know he was born without his arms from just below the elbow down and like he's got some some structural issues with his feet so it's like she was doing all the homework and like getting ready to bring this little boy home and they had their plane tickets and all three of them were gonna go and the week before their flight china shut down because the orphanage was in Wuhan and this was 2020. 2020. Yep. Um, it went from being a, well, you know, you'll be able to come and get him. We just don't know when to a, we're indefinitely shut down and we don't know if or when you're going to be able to come and get your kid. Um, and they had, they had already been building a relationship with him virtually, you know, sending pictures and videos and, you know, things like that. And they were actually advised to withdraw their adoption application because while they had their application for him, no one else could apply to adopt for him. And because they didn't know if or when they would ever be able to get him, yeah, they were effectively preventing anyone else from adopting him. So they made the really difficult decision to withdraw their application after all this time of like it, it was the pandemic. No one knew what was going on. No one knew, you know, if or when things would open up, especially when it came to adoptions. And it was it was so heartbreaking. I mean, they 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 essentially lost their child. It was it was just absolutely awful. Um, so recently they were actually notified that their application had not been withdrawn. So there was some kind of bureaucratic mix up. I don't know what the deal is. But they were asked, hey, do you still want to adopt this little boy? And they're like, absolutely. So they went, they um, they flew to China to meet him in person and introduce him to his brother. And he actually got to spend some time with them and then decide for himself if he oh, wanted yeah. to like. So he he got to like make the choice and sign papers and things like that. And he's 
he's I mean it's just it 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 breaks my heart that it was delayed so much I I understand it it was a global pandemic I get it um but I'm so thankful that they get to continue their future with their two sons you know and this is a little boy they who's going to be so loved I, who already is so deeply loved and they really wanted to bring him home and they withdrew their application because they thought that was what was best yeah. for him. You know, they're trying to give him the best chance of like getting adopted, not growing up in an orphanage. And I'm really glad it worked out this way. And I'm not, I'm not going to share her name. I don't have permission, but I just, it was a really beautiful story and seeing her post on Facebook, like, Hey, we're going to China and we're going to get our son. Like it was so out of nowhere. It was so incredible. And being able to see the pictures of them all bonding as a family and like him hanging out with his brother and like his brother, like they loves him and is so excited. And it's, it's awesome. It's so awesome. And I'm so happy for her. And I really think that's worth cheersing to. I'm, I'm happy for their whole family. I'm so thrilled. And like, yeah, what like a great ending to the story, like that it all worked out in the end, you know, it it, it feels like all of the heartache because it really it was devastating. Um, it was absolutely devastating for them not to be able to get him. They were they, literally it was like the oh, yeah. next week they were going to fly to China and then the, the world shut down. And um, and then ha- having you make that decision to withdraw their application, and basically say we're never going to bring him home. Um, it, 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 uh, it almost makes it like, okay, well it all had a happy ending. We, we did get to bring our son home. So yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm so happy. Like it's yeah. So cheers to families finally coming together. Cheers. Cheers. Good clink. But yeah, so I'm just, I'm really excited about that. And I, I, you know, I know there's going to be an adjustment period and all that, but I just, I hope it goes well. It seems to be going well so far. And, you know, I know them, them loving him and giving him a great life is, is, it's, it's not a question. So Kelly, which one of us goes first? You. No. <laughs> all right okay no no no. I, I will go first okay so so this has a little background um I'm not covering another daughter of the corn but uh I am covering a suggestion so my fella had actually sent me this lady as a suggestion and because um you covered Gladys Ingle who he had also suggested to me mm-hmm. and I kind of missed the boat on that one I wanted to make sure I covered this lady right away <laughs> so um this is for you, Egg. So I am whining about Caroline Hassett's or Hasslet, excuse me. And I'm lovingly calling this section Electric Boogaloo, a feminist review. So the 1950s were a wild time for housewives, flying or otherwise. Advances in appliances had made it easier than ever to cook, clean, care for children, and to satisfy your husband, which really helped to take the sting out of not being able to own your own checking account. 
Yes, advertisers weren't just selling dishwashers and vacuum cleaners. They were selling liberation from household drudgery. But for Caroline Haslett, I don't know why I can't say her name. I've been drinking too much. Or you know what? The issue is I haven't been drinking enough because I'm really good at pronouncing things when I'm drinking. But for Caroline Haslett, liberation from domestic duties wasn't just a slogan or a marketing gimmick. It was a philosophy which she would dedicate her entire life to. Caroline Haslett, there we go, was born on August 17th, 1895 in Worth, West Sussex, England. Named for her mother, Caroline was the eldest daughter. Is that what you just said? What'd I say? Worth, West? Worth, West Sussex. Okay. Worth, well, it's it's not even called Worth now. It's like part of something else. I don't give a shit because. At the time, it was Worth. At the time, it was Worth, and now it's less Worth. Or someone might say worth less. Oh. Dun, 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 dun. Everyone from England tuned out. It's yep. fine. Just immediately <laughs> lost like five viewers. Yeah. Listeners. It's okay because Karen Karen lives in Scotland. She's still listening. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she still loves England. us. It's fine. It's okay because 99% of the rest of the world is also like fuck England. So. Yeah. <laughs> Pandering. So Caroline was the eldest daughter of Robert Haslett, a railway signal fitter and activist with the cooperative movement. I tried to figure out what a railway signal fitter was. I could not. The best I could find was some genealogy message board where someone else was like, what the fuck is a railway signal fitter? And no one had an answer. (laughs) So I gave up. Okay. So, but I could find more about the cooperative movement. So this was a movement that emphasized cooperation for the betterment of all, particularly for the working class. And it's, it's take, it's like a really broad range of things. So it's taken a lot of different forms, but that's a very basic, that's, that's the general philosophy behind cooperation. So the ideology would be influential for Caroline. As a young adult, Caroline traveled to London to uh, complete a secretarial course because that was one of the few things women could do at the time. And London was just the place for an ambitious young woman. She became politically active in the suffragette movement and joined the Women's Social and Political Union. And I think we've talked about this before, but it's always worth repeating. The suffragettes did not come up with that name on their own Mm -hmm. it's because they were a militant movement and that was like a tongue-in-cheek mocking name that the press gave them it it was supposed to be diminutive like oh the separate debts like the rockets and they took it and ran with it which reminds me of the nevertheless she persisted slogan that was not someone saying oh a woman was awesome and nevertheless she persisted that was a man trying to put a woman down and we were like you damn right she persisted because fuck you <laughs> so i love that um so caroline supported herself with a clerk job with the cochran boiler company enter world war one or the great war because the men were being sent into combat more opportunities opened up to women on the home front Nothing like a world conflict to get people to admit that women can do traditionally masculine jobs. Caroline, for example, was transferred to the Cochrane workshops in Scotland, where she received basic engineering training. And this kind of education 
likely wouldn't have been available to Caroline otherwise. And it was a total game changer. It would completely, it would completely alter the course of her life. There were not many women in the engineering field, but those who were formed the Women's Engineering Society. This group helped to support women in the engineering field and encouraged women in STEM, and it still fucking exists. Woohoo! Talk about a legacy. So yeah. this was the perfect marriage of Carolyn, Carolyn's women's rights activism and passion for engineering. In 1919, Carolyn joined the WES and became the first editor of their magazine, The Woman Engineer. And just a year later in 1920, she helped to found the, okay, it looks like it should say Atlanta, but it's Atlanta Limited. So she founded, helped found Atlanta Limited, an engineering firm that offered employment opportunities for women. And at the time, women weren't just denied educational opportunities in engineering, but they were also denied apprenticeships, jobs, and other professional opportunities. So even if you could get the education, you couldn't do a lot with it. So this, this um, firm was specifically created to give jobs to women who were denied work elsewhere. I like it. Like, I love it. So through her work, Caroline, Carolyn met fellow engineer Mabel Lucy Matthews. Mabel was a fellow member of the WES and was convinced that domestic use of electricity was part of the answer to women's liberation. The idea was that the more household items or chores could be powered with electricity, the more time women could have to spend on their own education, work, and passions. And this kind of also made me think of the woman you covered. Um, was it Alice Parker? Who who created the patent for the central heating system? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know... You you had these big houses where servants were running around and stoking fireplaces and feeding coal and this and that. And if you couldn't afford servants to do that for you, you had to do that. And it was a ton of work. So the idea is that the more well automated things could be, the more time women would have to actually be people instead of just running a household. Yeah. Because that was their sole responsibility like men were not going to help them with that so at this time there was no national grid and few homes had electric light or heating so carolyn and mabel put together a proposal to present to the institution of electrical engineers and the electrical development association they were turned down by both however Carolyn was not going to let this idea die. If the existing institutions weren't going to help, Carolyn would create her own. In 1924, she co-founded the Electrical Association of Women and became their first director and editor of their magazine, The Electrical Age. Mm. Sounds very sexy. Mm. Through her positions in various women's rights and engineering organizations, Carolyn advocated for changes in the United Kingdom, focusing on six points of equality for women, political, occupational, moral, social, economic, and legal. Thank God we don't have to worry about any of those areas anymore. To further organize women in the field, in 1925, the WES hosted a conference in Wembley 
in cooperation with the first international conference of women in science industry and commerce, which like throughout this story, there's a lot of name dropping of different like women's organizations, especially women in STEM. And I'm like, there weren't a lot of women who were had the opportunities to enter these fields. And I just love how organized they were right away. Yeah. They're like, we're few, but we are mighty and we're not fucking around. So the conference was opened by then Duchess of York, who would become better known as the Queen Mother or Mother to Queen Elizabeth II, Damn. who famously died recently. Yeah. <laughs> so like big fucking deal. Like she she would become the queen. <laughs> like It's just insane. So this conference brought national attention to the WES and Caroline opening greater opportunities for her. And I'm so sorry. I, I realize I'm switching between Carolyn and Caroline. I think I'm just going to go with Carolyn because it's a little easier to say when I've been drinking. Mm. In 1930, she joined the World Power Conference as the only British woman delegate and the only woman to speak at the event. Full stop. Damn. At the World Power Conference. She was the only woman to say anything. What? So by this point, her CV is looking stacked. There's actually a quote from one of her colleagues, Margaret Partridge, that was like listing all the organizations and schools and committees that Carolyn was on. And it's a solid paragraph and I'm not going to read it all because half of it doesn't mean anything to us. But let's just say she's she's involved in just about everything that has to do with STEM and women's rights. So in addition to engineering and electrical fields, Carolyn was also into planning, writing for journals such as town and country planning. She wrote, quote, Lack of planning has resulted in the present chaotic condition of our cities and threatened desecration of our countryside. So she was very much into like city and town planning and doing that in a comprehensive way that benefited everyone. Because again, this is all about cooperation. And she has this idea that like a lot of this kind of land grabbing supremacy and things like that have contributed to con and like a lack of planning and more of a just like people getting what they can and no one putting any thought into it has contributed to a lot of chaos and it's like this could all work a lot better if we actually like planned out our communities so yeah. throughout her work she continued to advocate for women's rights and the advancement of women's positions in society through electricity and engineering Ooh. She said, and I, I, this, this quote's a little long, but I love it because it really just, it, it summarizes everything that she's about and everything that she's working for. She said, quote, way is being made by electricity for a higher order of women, women set free from drudgery who have time for reflection, for self-respect. We are coming to an age when the spiritual and higher states of life will have freer development. And this is only possible when women are liberated from soul-destroying drudgery. I want every woman to have leisure to acquaint herself more profoundly with the topics of the day. Damn. Soul-destroying drudgery. I love it. <laughs> Because I'm like, how many, okay, I'm sorry, how many guys do you know 
and the year of our God is 2024 who are like, I don't cook. I don't clean. Yeah. I don't do like, or, or they, they either don't know how to do those things. Don't try to do those things or take pride in the fact that they don't like, we have a friend who has a guy who he was like, yeah, that's not my job. Cause I'm a guy. And I'm like, you are trash. Yeah. You're like, uh, you, you are, are not good trash. Enough. And like, those things need to be done. I, I don't care what your sex or gender is. Those things need to be done. You got to take care of your house. You got to take care of yourself. You got to whatever. But all of those things were solely the, put on the responsibility of women. And that's because they were not expected, not, not even not expected, but no one wanted them to engage in work, in politics, in social activities, in policy, nothing. They were just meant to take care of the domestic sphere. And so Carolyn's whole thing is that if women have more time, that they don't have to cook and clean and take care of the kids and stoke the fires and blah, 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 they can actually engage with this, with their society, with their community, with themselves. Because when we think about like women's suffrage, a lot of the the leaders were white women who were upper middle class because they were the ones who had the social and financial leniency to pursue those kinds of activities. They weren't subjected to soul destroying drudgery. Right. They and I do what they wanted. And this wasn't just a like, Oh my God, slow cookers are so cool, which like, don't get me wrong. They are, but I don't think today we totally understand how all consuming domestic work was for women. Yeah. And the idea of them having time to read the paper and just kind of know what's going on and to participate in a larger conversation. It, it wasn't something they were supposed to have. So Carolyn wrote several books meant to further education for women, such as The Electrical Handbook for Women, Ooh. Munitions Girl, oh, uh, A Handbook for the Women of the Industrial Army. Sorry, that was, that was all one title, Munitions Girl, A Handbook for Women of the Industrial Army, okay. and Problems Have No Sex, but sex can have a lot of problems. Accurate. So the culmination of Carolyn's work in activism came in 1947. The British Electricity Authority was established and in 1948 as, or sorry, they were established in 1948 as the managing body of Great Britain's electricity supply industry. And this was a newer thing because remember when the story started, there was no grid. There was no like widespread domestic elect private you know, electricity. Yeah. So while the BEA, which would later become the Central Electricity Authority, was being formed, Carolyn was selected as a member. The BEA had its own collier fleet to transport coal, and a collier fleet is just a bunch of ships that transport coal. And like, what is that like? Wait, like collier, like collies, like border collies? Is that what we're talking about? I had to look it up. I was like, what the fuck is that? So one of the ships was christened. The Dame Caroline Haslett in her honor. A photo of Carolyn with the ship and its crew hung in the officer's mess. And I, I didn't include this in my notes, but she had someone like she, she commissioned an artist to 
do a painting of the ship and use that as her like Christmas cards one year. Like she was so, she was so proud. She's like, oh my God. And I'm like, that's exactly what I would do if I had a ship named after me. I would like, that ship is my personal responsibility and everyone on it is my child. (laughs) So the BEA also established the Carolyn Haslett Trust to establish scholarships and traveling fellowships for members. And Carolyn was receiving some much-deserved recognition, but she never stopped working. Dependence on coal was contributing to increased pollution in England, particularly the highly industrial city of London. In December of 1952, weather conditions led to the airborne pollutants to collect over London, forming a thick layer of smog over the city from December 5th to the 9th. This is known as the Great Smog of London or the Great Smog of 1952. There's actually a um, there's a book I've been meaning to read, but it talks about um, I I can't remember if it's a murder or a series of murders that happen at the same time as this event. And it's kind of this large culmination of a lot of societal issues. And yeah, I, I really want to read it. It's super cool. So this brought so. so- Oops, oh, sorry. I hit my I hit Jeez. my microphone. Emily's just causing chaos. Uh, you muted yourself. I'm smacking things. I'm hitting things. I'm muting myself. I have no control over any. And you're muted again. God damn it. <laughs> it's because I keep checking and make sure that I'm using my real mic and not the computer mic. And I keep hitting the, the wrong button. <laughs> I'm in my 30s and I don't know how computers work. So this, this event, because I mean, it was like this, this layer of smog just completely coated the city for days and no one knew it was going to end. And the only reason it did is because the weather conditions changed and like blew the smog away. So this brought renewed attention to England's pollution problem and its serious dependence on coal. Carolyn wrote to the Times about the Great Smog, still promoting the benefits of all electric homes and the popularization of electricity for domestic use. So again, like getting away from coal and getting away from these dirtier fuel sources. I'm so glad we don't have to have that conversation anymore. Yeah. Carolyn continued working with various organizations, including her early role as the editor for the WES until the 1950s when her health took a turn and forced her to retire. So a lot of these things that she was doing early on that I mentioned, she did for her entire career. So yeah, it was like a lifelong thing for her. Yeah. But while she's joining all these other organizations and engaging in this activism and this education and promoting women in STEM, she's still like editing the magazine for the for the WES and doing all this other stuff that she was doing at the very beginning. And I'm just like, when did this woman have the time to breathe? God, especially with all that smog, it must have been very difficult. So uh, she would move in with her sister, Rosalind, in Suffolk. And actually, Rosalind would end up being her biographer, which I thought was really cool. That is cool. On January 4th, 1957, uh, Carolyn died of coronary thrombosis, which is a blood clot in the heart. And she was only 61 years old. Which, like, for the 50s, maybe that's, I, I don't know, 61 still seems too young for me. Yeah, no, that's 
I'm like, that's when you start thinking about retiring. Not dying. God. So even in death, this is the best thing in the whole fucking world. Even in death, Carolyn espoused the best benefits of electricity, having requested that her body be cremated by electricity. That's fantastic. Which it fucking was by the city of London crematorium. Like, God, like, she believed in this. Like, she she, she didn't just preach this. She lived this. And it, I, I love it. I love it so much. Like, that is the most her thing in the world. Legacy. Carolyn Haslett has earned a number of honors, both during her life and posthumously. And, like, Rose have been named after her. There's a plaque, like, where she grew up. There's a bunch of that stuff, which is great. But I there's so many that I'm just going to name a couple, a few of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, which is not always the issue that we have with the women we cover. So this is really nice. The Carolyn Haslett Primary School in Milton Keynes, Buckinghamshire, is named after her. And they even have a little comic on their site about her life. And it's like really cute. But they have a whole like, who the fuck is Carolyn Haslett? (laughs) They don't word it that way because it's a school for children. But you know what I mean. I wish they did word it that way. (laughs) So much better. Okay. I, I write articles for work and I like do social media posts and educational pieces. And sometimes I really just want to put like, what the fuck does affordability mean? What is afford? What the fuck is affordable housing? What does that even mean? Because really, that's sometimes what I feel like people need to hear. Yeah. Because yeah. I see, I see all these conversations online with like something good is finally happening, something good to address the issues that people have been bitching about, and everyone's bitching about it. And I'm like, oh my fucking god, I just. I just need to educate. I just need to educate, please, God. Anyway, but yeah, I, I've genuinely thought about writing an article like, what the actual fuck is a community land trust? <laughs> what the fuck does affordable housing even mean? What's the definition? That would be great. I I, I'm going to start my own like guerrilla protest housing site just called what the fuck is. <laughs> For affordable anyway, housing. Um, so the National Portrait Gallery has seven portraits of Carolyn, which I think is really cool. So if you, I, I don't think I've been to the National Portrait Gallery. I, w- I would love to go if you've been there and I, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty particular about like, if you can take pictures, but if you've been there, please let us know if you like, were able to find any of the portraits of Carolyn. Cause I'd love to, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. That would be super cool to hear about. The Hoth Theater held an exhibition about her called Carolyn Haslett Memorial Project in 2019, which is really cool that she's still getting recognition. And beyond these well-deserved recognitions, Carolyn's work and the work of those like her paved the way for future women in STEM, particularly engineering careers, which is just an invaluable legacy to have because she was really passionate about the intersectional intersectionality of technology not only as a career and as a vehicle for women to advance themselves socially and economically but also in its capabilities to benefit all women and address some of these societal issues that they were facing and these inequalities like she she just 
it was just like the perfect marriage for her and she was really looking at this big picture and I just yeah. I think it's so cool and just I, I guess I've never really I I've thought about it a little because I know the 1950s with a lot of those advancements gave women more like free time but with the imp- like with domestic tasks being made easier through the advancement of technology and how that contributes to women's liberation. I guess I've never really thought about its importance in that way. And this was, this was so cool to learn about and Carolyn Haslett just fucking fucking killed it her entire life. So that is Carolyn Haslett electric boogaloo of feminist review. (laughs) I do love that. That was a great title. Well, she didn't have any like I I couldn't find any nicknames like Flying Housewife or anything, but I was yeah, I love a good electric boogaloo. So, no Flying Dutch ma'am. No Flying Dutch ma'am. Kicking I, Abby I mean, off she, my blanket. She, she's she might be considered a live wire. Dun, 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 dun. Oh god, that was terrible. <laughs> Her accomplishments were truly shocking. Everyone was buzzing about her ideas this could have been so much worse kelly i'm just coming up with this at the very end i know i didn't put any puns in my story i am shocked and appreciative i can't believe i i think i was so like just busy getting my notes down and writing it that i didn't even think of puns until right now your brain just like short ah navi Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. So. I guess it's my turn. So, Kelly, who are you whining about? It's my turn to whine about someone. Yeah, I want to hear it. I'm ready for it. And I have all this pent up pun energy. Oh, God. Ow, Navi. Pent up punergy. You know what? I'm I'm good. We can just be done. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode. I will say we got a we got a message um that was like I love it when Emily makes puns and makes Kelly cringe and like I think the puns are awesome and I'm like yeah because you're a fucking real one. <laughs> no, they just like seeing me in pain. I mean that too.
all the pain. So pun pain, pun pain. Get ready for your punishment. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny, but I did. Because you're giving in. I am. You're 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 succumbing to the insanity that I'm inflicting on you on a weekly basis. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Just give in to the dark side. Say things are spendy. Say oh. No. I refuse. I'll get you. <laughs> so I am also whining about a lady in the sciences. Ooh, are our uteruses glowing? Are I feel our like they're always like glowing. Thinking up. My ovaries are not glowing with the want of child, but they are glowing with the synchronicity of our women's history exploits. Go away, Navi. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Kelly yelling at her puppy. I was, I did not yell. I very nicely told Navi to go away. Kindly yet firmly scolding. She's being obnoxious. She is. She, I mean, she's a puppy. That's literally her job. I don't know what Charlie's is anymore. He's Navi. Navi's not a puppy anymore. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I was thinking Zana. I mean, Navi never stopped being a puppy. It's almost a little weird that she's not the smallest dog in the house anymore. Because she's small. Anyway. anyway. Uh, so who are you stop, whining about? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I am whining about Laura Bossy. Bossy? Bossy. B-A-S-S-I. Bassy? Let's say bot. Let's say bossy. Bossy. Yeah, I like it because I'm imagining people calling her bossy when she's just being a leader, and she's being like, "That's my fucking name, bitch." Don't wear it out. <laughs> That's my name. Don't wear it out, motherfucker. <laughs> I am, I know nothing about this woman, but I've already created this like entire aggressive attitude for her based on. How I'm deciding to pronounce her last name. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, so tell me about Miss Bassy. Miss Bassy. Miss Bassy. Miss um, Bassy Britches. So she was born in 1711 in Bologna. B O L O G N A. Yeah, Italy. She was born in Italy. Bologna. 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 You got to say it with the finger. I know. I totally did. Which I feel bad <laughs> for. Uh, I'm sorry, people from Italy. Um, you know what? There, There's there's a guest at the hotel who is from Italy and he's, I, I think I think it might be like a cultural thing, but he's like, more, more. I want more wine, like, or more beer or like, he, he doesn't ask. He's like, he just says it. Give me. Yeah, and I'm like, at first I was a little like, the fuck, sir? But I really do think it's like a, like, he is nice otherwise. He's not like trying to be mean. Yeah, it's probably so just I really a cultural just, thing. I think it is a cultural thing, but I, sometimes I'll hear him like speak in Italian and I always just want to like do the fingers like, it's a begonia, it's a baloney. That's funny. Because <laughs> I'm a mean person. So yeah, she's born in. If you're gonna if you're gonna be this aggressive, you need to tip me, sir. <laughs> right. Um, 
So she was born to a man named Giuseppe, who was a prosperous lawyer, and his wife, Maria. Um, the exact date of her birth has been given anywhere between October 29th or October 20th to November 29th of that year. Most scholarly works agree on the 29th of October. But like there is right there is a range the depending on what you read. I'm going to split the difference and say she was born on Halloween. Okay, we can say that. Freaking bats. I love Halloween. So growing up, Laura was privately educated. I mean, obviously, like she had a wealthy father. And so that was that was common, you know, in this in the 1711s for if you have the money to be privately educated. Um, you have the money to be privately educated and educate your daughter. Oh, yeah. And so initially she was um, educated by her cousin, who was Father Lorenzo Stagani. And he taught her Latin, French, and mathematics starting at the age of five. So she started young. Jesus Christ. So it wasn't unusual for um, people in rich families, at least in Italy at the time, to learn to, to, learn to read Latin. That mm-hmm. wasn't uncommon. Um, however... He also taught her to speak and write in Latin, which was uncommon. You know what blows my mind is that, like, I've been trying to learn Spanish for a couple years. And, like, when I speak with my coworker at the hotel, like, it's still, like, my Spanish is fucking terrible. Um, This five-year-old is learning to read and speak Latin. Yep. A dead language. Like, I, I don't know. Is it me? <laughs> Probably. Is it? No, I'm kidding. The younger you are, the more you retain when it comes to languages. It just, Kelly, you fucking came for just. I love it though. I love it. I love that we have that relationship where you can be like, yeah, it's you. Um, but yeah, so so she's she's getting an education above and beyond even like normal rich people education. Um, which is which is really cool. Like, and yeah, Latin is a dead language, but it it. It's not. I feel like it's not as dead in Italy because it is very one wo- woven into the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and two. Yeah, if you're gonna go into sciences, depending on which science you want to go into, there's a lot of Latin as well. Oh yeah. Um, at the age of thirteen, her education was handed off to get get oh my gosh Gattineo Tacconi who was like the family physician and a professor at the University of Bologna um he taught medicine and so when he started teaching her she was taught philosophy metaphysics logic and natural philosophy so all the all the sciencey things well at least she's like probably 7 at this point so it's 13 you know, she's more what 13 Oh, well, yeah, no, I mean, this is basically the She's alphabet mastered Latin. Her. Yeah. <laughs> she needed something Christ. else. She was bored. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. This stuff, I mean, this is so insane, the kind of education that, like, people could have. Well, and clearly it must be something she enjoyed in one way or the other because she pursued it, you know? I was going to say, I don't think that they would be teaching her metaphysics as a 13 year old if she wasn't like yeah i'm into that 
they would probably be focusing more on arts, culture, maybe some history, yeah. you know, some more like domestic stuff so that she could be a good wife. Right. And she's obviously, she's very smart. Like, and we'll get into that. Like, she's very, very smart, obviously, <laughs> but she, she is. Um, she's so, the brain to my pinky. So in 19, there's not 19, 1731. So she would be 20. Her teach, her teacher invited philosophers from the university of Bologna and, a man who was the Archbishop of Bologna at the time, Prospero Cardinal, Cardinal Lambertini, who would later become Pope Benedict um, the ninth, 19th, the 19th, 14th. 14th. Thank you. I was trying to like read my own notes and trying to remember Roman numerals. No, nope, um, that that's okay. Math math sucks. So yeah, Pope Benedict the Fourteenth. Thank you. Especially when we refuse to actually use numbers. I remember when imaginary numbers were introduced in math, and I was like, "Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. This is bullshit." Yeah. So he's not the Pope at this point in the story, but he does become the Pope later. But so he's a big deal. Yeah. So. Her teacher, like, invites them to examine her progress. Basically, he's like, I have this really intelligent student. I've been teaching her all this stuff. Like, come and listen to her speak. This isn't the first time we've run into this. I remember one of the women I covered, it was probably, again, around these times, like the set the 1700 era, that, yeah, they had some, one of the women I covered was really smart, and that's what it was. It was like... All these men come and come and listen to this woman speak. Listen how smart she is, and I'm like, that's so weird. It like I can't tell if uh, I wonder if it was maybe standard, but it feels more like a a humble brag. Like yeah. I taught this woman, and look how smart she is. So that reflects well on me, right? You know that that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, it's which like it's weird. being proud of your student is not a bad thing, but this definitely feels more like um, more more of a novelty. It's like yeah. not only do I have an intelligent student, that student's a woman. Ooh. Yeah, it like make makes it extra, and it's like oh, that's mm, yeah. There's something I don't like about it, but so they come and they listen to her speak, and they were they were incredibly impressed. She of like how intelligent she is to the point where like word spread like throughout the area of like of her intelligence and um, the guy that would later be Pope, the current Cardinal Lambertini, like started um, organizing like a series of events and lectures for her to talk because they were like, she's so smart. And again, I'm like, it just, it just feels weird. And I don't know if it's because she's a woman and I'm like, are they just, are they, yeah. Are they doing it to be like patronizing? Like, look how smart this woman is, you know? I, so it's what, hard what to I know. Will say, <laughs> it is, it is hard to know. And especially like we, we've encountered all these stories with mistreatment of women and I would love, I would love to believe that this is like, you know, people holding this intelligent person up regardless of sex. Um, we don't know, but I think at the very end, we can at least be grateful that this very intelligent person had the opportunity that she may not have otherwise had because of her sex to 
I, I don't want to say show off her intel, but exhibit her intelligence yeah. and then, you know, m- make advancements in her life or career and whatever she goes on to do, you know, like w- whatever the intention was, she was afforded this opportunity to really show off her stuff and she used it. I know, like, just, like whatever the intention was, she used it for her for good. It still just feels weird to me. I know. I know. And I think it's one of those things like you, we, we don't trust. We don't trust the motivations of any men in these stories. No, we don't. <laughs> Whether they deserve it or not, un- unknown, but we definitely don't. So, um... Lambert, oh, Lambertini would actually become like her official patron and um, like I said, would, would arrange all these public events, one of which was a debate between um, Laura and four professors of the University of Bologna. Um, and yeah, like it was just this debate and it was like, oh, here, here's these professors that like know all this stuff and here's this, you know, 20 year old girl that's a that's able to hold her own in these debates with them and you know like it just it it really was it was demonstrating like look how good of a speaker she is look how intelligent she is for being so young um, right you know what it kind of reminds me of a, a little bit um oh my god i'm blanking on her name but she was the she was the painter who was born without arms or legs oh yeah and yeah you was co- like was someone you covered yeah, and she was like sold to this guy who put her up in a freak show and like taught her to paint. Like she had already taught herself how to do a bunch of stuff, but he taught her to paint and like showed off that this woman without arms or legs could paint. And she actually became very popular and was painting portraits of famous people by just using like the paintbrush with her mouth. And that does not take away from the fact that she was an incredible artist. Right. But there seems to be this spectral novelty element to it. And that's what this particular thing feels like. Oh yeah, definitely. Where it's like, not only is she young, she's a woman and she is debating for well-established, I assume male professors. And she's, if not kicking their butts, holding her own, like she, you know, yeah, it, it's not the result people expect. Yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, it's the novelty of like, yeah, look how intelligent she is. But again, that doesn't take away from the fact that she is indeed very intelligent. Exactly. Just like it doesn't take the fact away from that. Um, I'm, t- I'm totally blanking on her name. She was like an earlier woman that I covered, but it doesn't take the, away the fact that she was a very talented artist. Right. And I fully agree with that. Um, So she would actually eventually be admitted that like that same year that she debated with them, that she would be admitted to the Bologna Academy of Sciences as an honorary member. And she was its first female member. I love that. Okay. We're getting some like real recognition, right? So she would go on um, to defend her thesis for a degree in a doc at um, for a doctor of philosophy. Um, like within a year, like she earned it real quick, probably because she had all this like training and stuff. Or you know, like she's been be ow. You just pulled my <laughs> Kelly's getting beaten up by her dogs. 
And the dogs are unplugging her headphones because they're like, how dare you not pay attention to us? And but what what I was saying is like, you know, she's had all this like specialty training. So it doesn't surprise me that like she gets admitted and basically almost immediately gets a degree because she's already able to hold her own against these professors. Yeah, she's crazy smart. Like the, the, the everything that you've told me at this point is I'm just like, what? Right. So obviously, like, because of all this and because Lambertini was making it, like, very public, she became kind of famous around um, Bologna. And something that was really unique about her defending her thesis is she actually did did her defense of it in the town hall instead of in the churches, which was common. I don't know why. Because science and religion were one and the same at the time. Yeah. And so, like, that was a really big deal, like, that that they did it in a much more public place where a lot more people could come and, like, watch. And it's interesting because a lot of her ideas showed influence of Isaac Newton's work on optics and light. And we'll get into that a little bit more because that was, um, at the time in Italy, like, a lot of a lot of people were still um, Descartes, like really big on like Descartes and his works. And this was Descartes or Descartes. I don't know how you say his name. I either. I don't know who the fuck that is. Oh, okay. It was, I mean, you know, Newton, like Isaac Newton and his his laws of physics and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Descartes was like the, the big physics person prior to him. Okay. I just thought everyone knew who Descartes was. Can you tell that I was not tutored in metaphysics when I was 13 years old? I mean, he's like one of the like big names in physics in general, I think. Is he? Yeah, René Descartes. He was a French philosopher, scientist, and mathematician, considered one of the seminal figures in the emergencies of modern philosophy and science. Okay, well... I think it's called, it's Descartes. I think is how you pronounce it. I learned something new today. And hey, if you're one of the people who was also like, "Da who? I got you. I represent you. We're here together." <laughs> there are two kinds of people in the in this world: people who know who Descartes is, people who don't, and they all start podcasts together. Yeah, but. <laughs> Some some of what Descartes said, like, kind of went, a, a, like, it, it didn't necessarily align with Newtonian physics. And so, like, a lot of times people, um, like, it was kind of like people were, like, one or the other kind of a thing. And so, like, the fact that her work showed, like, influence from Isaac Newton is is kind of a big deal. It was it was this big like um kind of against the norm. Yeah, but also what's the word I'm thinking of? It was um kind of an endorsement. Yeah. Also. It, yeah, it it was a like I I respect and agree with this other person's work. <laughs> Basically, you know. How edgy. Exactly. Um so she would go on to receive her degree and like there were basically like parties and poetry and all of this stuff celebrating her and her degree when she got it. Because like I said, this whole thing is happening like within a year. 
and it's all being very, very public. She's like the Taylor Swift of sciences in the 1700s. In <laughs> yeah, people love her. They're talking about her. They're like, oh my God, you're the best. Yeah. She would go people on to are, defend. People are blaming failures of major league sports teams on her existence. <laughs> Have you heard about that? No. So Taylor Swift is dating one of the players oh, on the Kansas City yeah, no, team. Yeah, no, yeah, I have heard about that. And like yeah. the coach made a comment or something about how like them losing was because or or like it, he was calling like Taylor Swift a distraction from yeah. like the players in the game. And it's like, dude, just stop. Just deal with just it. Don't. Like, are you are you are you you're only saying that because she's famous? Like. Because your other other your of your players are dating people and married, and you're not saying they're a distraction. Also, people are actually like know who your team is now yeah. because Taylor Swift is dating one of your players. So exactly. calm down. So she would go on to defend another set of thesis. Um, this time about the properties of water. Um, this time it, it was hosted in the main building of the University of Bologna, and um, at this time there was a position for teaching um, in the Senate of the university, which I don't like, I don't understand the structure of the university, but it was like essentially a teaching position. And so because her thesis covered such a wide range of topics, like it ranged from chemistry to physics, to hydraulics, to mathematics and mechanics and all of this different stuff, (laughs) um, the Senate and the university granted uh, Laura candidature and she was appointed professor of natural philosophy. Basically it was an honorary position because she was so smart. Holy um, shit, this lady, but she was like one of the first, or she was the first woman to be salary, a salaried lecturer in the world. And this really launched her academic career. Um, she also was the first woman to receive a doctorate in science and the second woman in the world to earn a philosophy doctorate after Elena Karanopiscopia, who had earned it 44 or 54 years prior. Oh, my fucking God. Also, my cat just tried to jump up on my desk and failed. So I need to console him. Um, so she was popularly known at the time as the Bolognese Minerva. I'm going to pause because do you even know who Minerva is? Is it like one of the Roman goddesses of like science? Is it the Roman Athena? Roman goddess of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Roman Athena. Okay. Good job. I'm so proud of you. One in the Emily box. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So she was known as the, the, the Balinese Minerva, basically like she was like, like you are the goddess of wisdom for our city essentially which like damn <laughs> um she would go on to become the first woman elected to the academy of sciences and um all of this like i said took place very publicly and all of these events were attended not only by like the university faculty and the students but major political figures, major religious figures. Like I said, like the the guy that was going to become Pope, who was a really big bishop at the time, showed up. Like all of like the elders, the senators, magistrates, like 
and like it was funny because in one of the newspapers apparently it talked about like all the ladies of Bologna and the nobility like also like so everyone is interested in like watching this this girl this woman succeed essentially well I hope it was to succeed but they're all like showing up to watch her talk and just like defend her thesis even though like anyone who doesn't have the education isn't probably going to know what she's talking about anyways well and I think if this started out as kind of a novelty thing, like, look how smart this woman is. She's definitely transcending it. Oh, yeah. You know, and I maybe it's my Catholic upbringing, but I like to think a future pope was like, wow, this person's really smart and I'm going to use my influence to elevate her. I don't know if that's what was happening because also I was brought Catholic and I know we're not great. <laughs> we're not perfect. <laughs> but I mean she's she's taking this opportunity and uh, like she's totally running with it and she's proving herself at every turn at every opportunity and like i i think it's so cool that everyone is so invested i guess in her being so intelligent and so like yeah, it's, having like, it's not ideas. just the university people. It's it's not just like her patron. It's it's like the city as a whole is cheering her on. She's like a celebrity for being smart. Yeah, which is really cool. And I think that's the part that's kind of blowing my mind. It, it's not that she is a celebrity, but why she's achieving this stardom. Yeah. So the first lecture she gave, she also gave like publicly. I'm. It's in Latin. I'm not going to like try. I could get the first like three words um, trans roughly translated from Latin. It stands as water as a natural element of all other bodies. Well, and we're water signs. So we love that. Yes. Um, the interesting thing is um, the university of Bologna at the time still held that women were to lead private lives. And um, so she was a lot more restricted than male teachers when delivering public lectures. She wasn't allowed to give as many of them um, was kind of the big thing. Cause I think, you know, it's still kind of like, well, she wasn't married at the time yet, but I think it was just kind of, yeah, that it was 17 something, you know, women definitely still had the role of like, you are in the home. Right. And so I I think when it says like the university still held that women were to lead private lives, it's yeah, like it's kind of those Victorian era standards of, you know, women, women don't, yeah, women don't, aren't public figures very much. Well, and as restrictive as the Victorian era was, this is the 1700s. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, again, I love that she's getting this recognition and these opportunities as a as a well-educated intelligent person that doesn't mean that society has changed no it did a little bit and then they were like just kidding bring it reel it back in well you know it's it's one of those things and i'm not excusing it because there's never a wrong time really for things to get better uh but those those ideas and that culture is so deeply ingrained in us like that's why we talk about internalized misogyny like even women fall prey to misogynistic ideas and hold other women accountable for things that are not their fault or hold them responsible responsible for sexism because it is so entrenched in our culture 
What I also and this think- is less than 2024. Like I, the 1700s can't fucking imagine. What I'm also thinking about, like a lot of the public things that were set up before were set up by her patron, not her. And now she's working yep. for the school. And so, yeah, it might just be like too, like, hey, we're, yeah, we're not going to be the people to revolutionize, like letting women speak publicly all of the time. <laughs> Well, and they also have their own interests in mind. You know, they're they're trying to keep their school profitable and reputable. Well, that's what and, I'm saying is like they're like we're not going to be the people on yeah. the fr- on the front lines of changing this. <laughs> exactly, because that could negatively impact them. Exactly. So yeah, she was she gave about one formal dissertation per year for about thirty years. Um. And her topics ranged for like basically whatever she was interested in at the time. Like literally she talked about gravity. She talked about electricity, chemistry. Like I said, like her original thesis were all over the place. So were her lectures that she would give. So yeah, it is reported she gave at least 31 dissertations at the university. She did, um, uh, she did, sorry, she did ask like Lambertini, the guy that was, or the to be Pope, the guy that was her patron and a man named Flamino Scar, Scarsless, Scarcelli. Um, like it We're was going to call him Flamingo. Yeah. It's Flamino, but yes. Um, who was the secretary for, uh, to the Balinese ambassador at the papal court. So like, they're both big people in in the church. Um, and basically she pled to them and like, was like, can you help me like become a normal teacher? Like, can you basically help me supersede the university so that I can teach just like the men can? Um, yeah, because she's been given a better, she's been given a greater opportunity than most women will be afforded, but she's still, it's like diet teacher. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, you're a woman, so we can't give you everything. Exactly. Like she was more of a, like a guest lecturer than a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she was denied, but she kind of got like a workaround. Um, she was able to start private lessons with students and she was granted some funds to perform experiments in her home. Um, so this allowed her to get around some of the constraints of the university as well as explore new ideas and conduct research. Um, so because she was like part of the university, she was expected to attend events and she was like this symbol and political figure for the, the university as well. Um, so there was a thing called the carnival anatomy, which was a public, a public dissection with tickets open to anyone. And, um, because she's this central figure, this was one of the things she was ex- expected to attend and she actually would she would she would attend annually from 1734 onwards but like this is stuff that like un like a quote unquote normal woman wouldn't attend so the fact that like they're like no it's an expectation that you attend because of who you are um basically because you're a member of the university is kind of what it is so we, we've kind of been having this discussion throughout the story of are people using her yeah, and her intelligence know. for their own gain? The university is definitely doing that. 
Well, they're and, and it's very much like, you, hey, you're you're famous, yeah. So you need to go to these things. Well, and they're they're trying to bolster their own reputation. Yeah, and they would have never given her a second look had she not previously achieved fame. Yeah, she could be just as smart. She could be just as capable. They wouldn't have given a shit. Right. And so, that that I don't know that that part's sad because I know that our um. A lot of people want us to live in a meritocracy where you advance and your success is dependent on how good you are, but we don't. We we simply don't. Yeah, that's not the way the and world works. She certainly does not live in a meritocracy. I'm not and that doesn't that doesn't take away from her intelligence and her and her accomplishments, but yeah, the university is totally using her and her celebrity to bolster their own reputation without actually really caring about supporting her and her pursuits right. of you know her her intellectual pursuits and research yeah and no, i mean a lot of it is too like yeah you're expected to do what anyone else on staff does but you don't actually get to really be on staff and that's the part that bugs me i get holding her to the same standards as other staff like these obligatory appearances and whatever but they're giving her fewer privileges and prestige while showing her off yeah like a gold pocket watch you know what i mean so in february of 1738 laura would marry giuseppe verati who was a doctor of medicine and a fellow lecturer in anatomy at the university of bologna um they would share like from the records that have been able to be found they shared a very sophisticated relationship both like working and at home and it it it's thought um it's thought that he really inspired her to begin studying particularly experimental physics and um, like actually encourage like her work in the home and stuff. Uh, they, they would go on to have several children um, somewhere between eight and 12. Um, we do know that only eight of their children were baptized, but there are different records saying that there may have been more that just didn't live long enough to be baptized. Which is tragically not surprising. No, and uh, like uh, of their of the eight children that were baptized, three died in infancy, and um, the other five all went on. Like some of them went on to be fairly famous in their own right. Um, I don't talk too much about them; they don't come into play a lot. It's not yeah. their story, exactly. Um, but but can we can we kind of uh, assume Giuseppe was a very like loving and supportive husband? I mean, loving is hard to say. Supportive, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Like I'll take it. <laughs> the bar is so low. I mean, like he he never seemed to um have any problem with her lecturing at home or doing studying at home or anything like that so like he definitely at least was yeah supportive in the way that he was like yeah whatever and um they they did work together quite often and um they actually would work on a lot of experimental research particularly in um electricity together and this would actually um attract another talent named abbe nolet and i don't know if it's a a man or a woman (laughs) Um, but it was, it was like, basically they attracted the attention of other people that were also studying electricity in Bologna. And so 
like they began working with that and she inch um Laura was already kind of interested in Newtonian physics and like really just started delving into it and started teaching courses on the subject. And she would go on to teach um, courses on Newtonian physics for the next 28 years. And she she is um, considered these days one of the key figures in introducing Newtonian physics and Newton's ideas of physics and natural philosophy to Italy. That's super cool, because like. We don't all know who. Descartes, a la carte is. We all but know, we all know is, who fucking Isaac Newton is. Yeah. And the fact that she was the one who was like, hey, Italy, this dude, Isaac Newton, he's got some fucking ideas that y'all need to hear. That's huge. Right. Um, so she, like I said, she was carrying out her own experiments um, on physics. Like, so it was originally just kind of on whatever. And then it really just morphed into doing physics. Um, and in order to teach Newtonian physics and uh, Frank Franklin, so Benjamin Franklin electricity. Oh, um, yeah, that would be at this. That's crazy. Which were that not, which were not topics that were actually part of the university curriculum. Those were a lot of the ones that like her husband encouraged her to give private lessons on. And she did. She would give private lessons in her own home on both Newtonian physics and frankly, and electricity. And in her lifetime, she would publish over 28 papers. The majority of these ought to do with physics and hydraulics. She would not publish any books and only four of her papers were ever printed. Um, she did face a lot of financial constraints when it came to experiments. Like she wasn't, you know, they weren't rolling in it. They were teachers. Um, yeah. She did write a letter again to Flamingo, the like papal person. Yeah. Not, not the one that would become Pope. The other one. Um, Flamingo, the paper guy. Yep. And he would, and she said, quote, as my physical experiments and in the view of the fact that the continual expense that arise requires some form of assistance, if I am to advance and perfect them, I am almost in despair. So like she wrote to him and she was like, I don't know what to do. Um, however, her and her husband at the time were the highest paid people at the university. Wow. So it's kind of like. You know, they're like, it was kind of like, make it work. <laughs> Not that they actually said that to her, but yeah, it was just kind of funny. Yeah, um, it's like, okay, so y'all are the highest paid people. There's no precedent for you getting more money. And like, I'm not saying that they were adequately paid. I don't know what the traditional, I don't know what that pay translates to into modern money, let alone yeah. American dollars and yada, yada. But I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind when it comes to scientific advancements. I actually, when it comes to anything, when it comes to housing, when it comes to food, when it comes to medical care, it all comes down to money. Yeah. For better or for worse, it all comes down to money. Yeah. So I've mentioned on and off the Cardinal um, Lambertini, the guy that becomes the Pope. That's, my, that's how I introduce him, the guy that becomes the Pope. The future Pope. Um, and so I'm just going to talk a little bit more about their relationship. Like there, there wasn't anything like weird. She wasn't like cheating on her husband or anything. But um, for someone who was like so deeply in the church, he was actually really supportive of her scientific work. Um, 
to the point where he like would stay in contact with the university and at one point they would try to like segregate uh Laura from the rest of the professors because she was a woman and he was like no like if you're if she's going to be one of your professors she's one of your professors you can't just segregate her from the rest of them um so he like actually like he didn't just like show her off and then leave her in the dust is my point is like he he stayed yeah. he, he made sure to help her even when he became pope so when he became pope um i mean technically after he became pope at some point he established um a group that he called the benedictines which like come on obviously it's after himself yep and it's like really but whatever but this was a group of 25 scholars like elite scholars um, and he had assigned like 23 or 24 of them. And Laura wrote him a letter being like, Hey, like, you know how smart I am. You, you like, you know that I can do this and you know that I would, I would be good at it, you know, basically. And he kind of went back and forth because there was a lot of mixed reactions on like, basically, yeah. Should, should we let a woman into this elite group of scholars was kind of basically well- what it was. Be- because, like, as much as the Pope is supposed to be the direct line between God and everyone else, it's political. It's 100% fucking political. Oh, it always is. Like, well, but, you know, like, there's this idea that, like, the Pope is ordained and chosen by God and that there's this mystical element to it, but it is very political. And he, the, the Pope needs to kind of weigh the implications of certain moves yeah you know and and i'm not saying that's right i'm just saying that's what it is it is unfortunately like it is it is it is what it is and that is exactly what it is Mm -hmm. let's put that on a shirt it is what it is and that's exactly what it is shut up (laughs) no i love it because that's no here's the thing that's so true and like there's so many instances that we talk about in these stories where it's like, hey, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what it is. It is what it is. And that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so he he would eventually appoint her as the 25th member of the Benedictines. Um, she was the only woman in the group. However, he kind of did what the university did and like, Gave her the position, but modified it. Mm-hmm. So um, the rest of them had like voting rights on what? I don't know. I didn't look into it because I was like, I don't like I care, but I don't care enough to like. Let's know. dissect the Catholic papacy right now. I and assume it was voting rights on maybe like, you know, like what maybe the group would focus on or something like that. You know, I that's my assumption. Um but basically, yeah. So he was like, you can be one of the 25 scholars, but you don't get any voting rights. Cute. So it's like, you're there. But yeah, you, you don't get the same treatment as everyone else. I'm definitely changing my opinion on him a bit. I think he genuinely did believe in Laura and her, her, her intelligence and her capabilities. But yeah. I think when it came down to it, politics are politics. And he was playing the game. Exactly. He's like, okay, I will appoint you. And like, I think like in the end, it was kind of one of those, like, I'll appoint you because I know how smart you are. And it kind of shows like, look, I can acknowledge women as equals. 
And yeah, I'm I'm not going to acknowledge you as fully equal because of the politics around it. Yeah, because everyone else sucks. Exactly. And I'm not saying he doesn't suck. I actually don't know anything about him as a pope. I don't either. Like, I'm sure, like, vaguely I learned about him in school, but I don't remember. I just remember Pope John Paul being a big deal because I think yeah, he was same. the first Polish pope. And we had a, it was like one, pope of, one John of the more Paul, recent the whatever popes number. was German, and that was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, God, what was it? It was, um, I'm actually looking it up. Hmm? Hold on. Because otherwise, my mom is going to be mad. Pope John Paul II. He was the first uh, Polish pope. When did and... he become pope? Da, 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 da. Let's see. Let's check out his wiki page. Oh, I on his wiki page. Um, he was ordained in 1946. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wasn't alive for that. Yeah, also, but one he, of the dogs started and it smells real bad. He was Pope until 2005. So I remember him being yeah. Pope when I was alive and think, oh, his papacy began in 1970, 1978, excuse me. Um, And I remember like him being alive in the 90s. And I was like, he's still alive. And my mom's like, Emily, don't say that. And my mom's not like a super religious person, but I think she was like, don't like. She was like, audibly act surprised that someone is still alive. It's so rude. That's funny. (laughs) He was kind of, he was kind of our, um, uh, he was my Olivia de Havilland where I was like, that dude's (laughs) never going to fucking die. (laughs) That's super funny. Pope John Paul II died? (laughs) No. Sorry. So Laura would continue like her academics throughout her whole life. And in 1772, Pablo Bilby, who was the professor of experimental physics at the University of Bologna, died suddenly, like out of nowhere. Oh, shit. And they weren't sure, like, who was going to replace him. At the time, uh, Laura's husband was was and had been his longtime assistant. Um, but Laura was like, I, I think I could... I would be a really good fit for this. Like, this is what I do. And I already have like the credentials from the school to be able to do it. And so in 1776, at the age of 65, she managed to get appointed as the chair of the experimental physics um, by the Bologna Institute of Sciences with her husband as the teaching assistant. Her husband was fine with it. Um. Which is super cool because this was like a lifelong, like she had made the sciences into a lifelong career and she was able to finally get this like status of being a professor with a male teaching assistant. And like, so she not only advanced herself, but like just being able to show other women and advance the status of women in the academic field is such a big deal. Well, and the more it, the more something happens, the less odd yeah exactly seems. so the idea the you know there's always going to be a first but then there's a second and a third and a fourth and then we stop thinking about it we stop thinking about kind of how incredible it is yeah, it's not a novelty that kind of thing anymore. to happen because it's not a lot it you're you're right it's not an anomaly anymore it's just it just it is what it is and that's what it because is because 
And that's what it is. So yeah, she she eventually became a professor. Um, sadly, she would die two years later, but like she did it. What the fuck? How dare you? She was 67. How, how dare you? Uh, anyways, so she died on February 20th, 1778. Um, a lot of people believe that she had just had deteriorating health over the years due to many pregnancies and childbirth complications and just like being frail after that. The cause of death was recorded as Atasio de Peto, which is an attack in the chest, probably a heart attack. She died a day before my birthday. Like three hundred years later, <laughs> three hundred years, two hundred years later, whatever. Prior, not later. <laughs> prior, I was born like two hundred years go. later. Um, her funeral was held at the Church of Corpus Do- Domina in Bologna, where silver laurels were put in her uh, on her head, and she was paid tribute by the members of the, of the Bene- the Benedictines. She is interred in the Church of Via Tagalip. Petra in front of the tomb of her fellow scientist Luigi Galvini or Galvani. I don't know who that is. But basically she's buried among other other academics. Uh sadly, only lim- a limited number of her scientific works survived. Um, but her her impact is evident through her many correspondences with uh, many lar- big names of the time. I don't know any of them. The only one I recognize was Voltaire because I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a name. That's a big name. I couldn't tell that's you what he did, name. but I know who he is. <laughs> yep. Um, but apparently he he once wrote to her saying, quote, there is no bossy in London and I, w- I would be much happier to be added to your Academy of Bologna than that of the English, even though they have produced a Newton. Like, that's huge. He's basically saying, like, yeah, England had Isaac Newton, but I'd much rather be in Bologna because you're there. Like, and I don't, it's, it wasn't like a love thing. It was like a, you're so intelligent. I wish I could come and learn from you thing. I, I, I get that because, like, there are, there's so many women that we've covered where I'm like, I wish I could just have coffee with you one day and just, like, ask you all the questions. I wish right? I could just, know you better and the fact that i'm never going to get that opportunity is actually a little painful right and by a little painful i mean existentially crippling yeah we just don't think about it because otherwise we just lay in bed for a long time i mean i do that like i do lay in bed for a long time (laughs) um so obviously she won numerous honors and awards um, throughout her life, she won um, a bronze medal. Um, sorry, but basically, she it, she was given a bronze medal to celebrate her first series of classes, which I think is really neat. Um, and on the medal is on one side it's her, and on the other side is the phrase um, "Sol cui fas." Vidice Minervum, which is roughly translated to only you can see Minerva. So again, kind of that like relation to that goddess of wisdom. Um, she also, a marble statue was made in her memory and placed above the nautical room in the Institute of Bologna. Um, she was obviously an elected member of many different societies 
and like I said, has a lot of correspondence with what they called. It's funny because they called it the the European men of letters, which basically are like scholarly men is what it is. Like like I said, like Voltaire and other really big names. And so that's where like a lot because her work didn't survive. Like we get a lot of knowledge about her work from the letters to and from these men that she, or not even men, but like these academics that she would write to. See, and that's the part that I feel like is kind of missing from this story. And this is not a criticism of you, obviously. Um, but she she's working on all these different things and she seems to have all these different like areas of science that she's focusing on and she's doing experiments. I'm like, okay, what was she trying to do though? Like, like there's some stuff we can see she was getting into, but the actual results of her work seem to be missing. Like we I see th- her accomplishments and her advancements but this idea that we only kind of know about her through these letters, yeah. these surviving letters related to academic men. I'm trying to think. So there's like a type of experimenting where you're not like necessarily doing your own experiments. You're more like testing to make sure theories of other people are true. And I think that's kind of what she tended to lean toward is not necessarily being like I'm going to invent this or I'm going to discover this but like I'm I'm really interested in Newtonian physics. I'm going to repeat those experiments and see if I get the same results. Which actually is incredibly important. Yeah. Um there's a there's this phenomena in especially especially modern society because say an article comes out that says experiments suggest that binge drinking red wine three nights a week leads to improved cardiovascular function there's a lot of problems with that with that headline especially the word suggests yeah um and then it say say that experiment is repeated over and over and over and it's proved definitively no it definitely doesn't in fact it may have the opposite effect people are going to remember the first headline and they're not going to remember the retraction. We see this in the relation or excuse me, the non-relation between vaccines and autism. Yeah. Like everyone is so stuck on the first headline that experiment after experiment, after study, after study can be done to prove the contrary and people don't accept it. Yeah. So she's kind of doing this like thankless job, really. Very well, I mean, important, but thankless. If you think of like science today, yeah, you have peer-reviewed articles, you have peer-reviewed journals. Like it's literally part of the scientific process these days to have like in psychology, when you do an experiment, part of it literally needs to be in order for you to like get published, that is that somebody else can replicate the study and get similar yep. results. Yes. And and that's essentially what she's doing. And like that that's so cool like for her to be like, "Hey, I I really like, you know, this Newton's guy's work with physics. I'm I'm going to repeat his experiments because I think they're true and then I can show other people they're true." I I really admire that about her. Um I'm not 100% can, can... sure that's what she did, but like from what I was reading, that's what it sounded like she was doing. Like, that, it didn't that, sound not... like she was necessarily, like, 
looking to discover her own stuff. She was just like, I'm super interested in this and I want to do these experiments to see if it's right. Right. But like, again, that is, it, it's not sexy. You're, you're not discovering anything. You're not creating anything new, but it is so integral to the pursuit of truth. Right. You know, it, it like, we need that. We need that replication and we need to see if we can replicate those results. And I mean, we still, I, I know that being able to replicate an experiment and having things peer reviewed well, is part of the method of making sure that misinformation you. doesn't get out there, but still it does. And that kind of testing is so important because we can't take anything. Yeah. At face value. When especially back then when like there were so many people that were like, well, this is my theory and it's obviously true. Oh my God. And this is my theory and it's obviously true, even though they're completely different. Yes. No, it, exactly. This is the 1700s. Like this is still a relevant thing in 2024. This is the 1700s. Yeah. Where if you had enough authority and gusto, you could say matter. whatever the fuck you wanted. Yeah. Oh my God. She's, that is so cool. That is so cool. And I, I kind of, part of me wants to talk with her and like have coffee with her, but then part of me is also like, I'm not going to know what the fuck you're talking about. I mean, you don't even know who Descartes is. So yeah, no. You know what, Kelly? Are you going to keep throwing shade at me? You going to keep throwing shade at me? You were throwing shade at yourself earlier. You know what? You know what? I have a runty dog who loves me, and that's all that matters in this world. Good. Look at him. He's so pathetic. His ears don't even work. I mean, one of them kind of does. One of them does kind of work, and the other one does work when he's really, like, alert. So, Emily, what are you thankful for? Oh, shit. Is it that time of the episode already? Hey, look, it's my little run. I don't know if I describe her as runty. Take the microphone. She looks like a very well-rounded and growing pupper. She's just a baby. She's like, no. Um, let me think about it. I am thankful that my full-time job allows me to pick up a second job. So that I can have more income to deal with life, like vet bills and house projects and things like that. And I'm I'm really thankful that that job is going well. So I picked up my old hotel job and it's it's serving free beer and wine, which is woot, woot. everything I'm about. Like this job was almost crafted specifically for me. But the hotel where I work, we have a lot of we have a lot of people who are coming here for Mayo Clinic. I, I would say that's 99.9% of the, the guests. And people are going through some shit. Oh, yeah. And it, so sometimes, like, people start sharing stuff with you where you're like, oh, my God, I was not ready for that. Yeah, you were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I don't you're know like, what to wow, say this, to you. This is really heavy, and I don't know how to respond. But honestly, just the listening and validating and you know is, is if there's anything else I can do you know it, it's nice to be able to be in a position where no one's expecting me to fix everything and solve a crisis but where just being nice and kind and listening 
means the world. That's nice. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like there aren't a lot of opportunities where being nice is really just so, so valued. Yeah. But I love, I love just interacting with the guests and, you know, saying my stupid jokes a million times, or like if someone shares something really heavy with me being like, I am so sorry to hear that, you know, you're in really good hands. I've had several surgeries with the clinic. So like, I've been there and yeah, like kind of being able to validate that. Yeah. And like, at the very least, like what I'll say is like, well, whatever kind of day you had, hopefully that this beer or wine makes it suck a little less. So I don't know, just kind of having the opportunity to be positive and in in a, in a low stakes way, it is really nice. I don't know. It, It makes me feel really good to just be able to be nice and peppy for for our guests and help out and I don't know I like it and then I'm making money so that's cool I'm getting paid to be nice what the fuck (laughs) you're like how dare they I need to blow my nose hold on oh no 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 no. you're fine um I guess I would say my only complaint about the job though is that the guy who asked me if I was a lady of the night has not tipped me yet so that's a little rude, in my opinion. Like, I don't know, tip me out of shame, at least. <laughs> but he was very nice about the whole thing, so I guess I'll take it. The bar is so low. He just doesn't want you to get the wrong idea. Maybe. I mean, like, again, he's really nice, and, you know, he uh, he has a mobility issue, so, like, I help bring his food to his table, and, you know, that kind of thing, but I'm like... Dude, you asked me if I was a sex worker. And you don't tip. <laughs> and you, you didn't tip me. Although maybe that's my internalized misogyny thinking being mistaken for a sex worker is worth him tipping because he should feel bad about that, even though he was very nice when I was like, no, I just serve drinks. It's something I'm unpacking. <laughs> You're figuring it out. But also I like tips. <laughs> Anyway, Kelly, where are you thankful for? I know I was trying to think of something before you like finished yours and I haven't <laughs> thought of anything yet. Um... I keep telling you about that weird interaction if that helps solve her time. Not really. <laughs> no. It was very simple. He asked me if I was a lady of the night. I said no. He was like, oh, you're not a lady of the night. I was like, absolutely not. And he was very nice about it. He was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, I've told men no over less, and they have pitched full-blown tantrums. Right. So I can't even be mad. Um, let's see. Uh, what am I thankful for? I am thankful. Oh. I don't know. I'm just gonna say I'm thankful for my puppers. Cause I don't know, it's it's been nice just Having that, you know, unconditional cut love and the extra warmth when in the cold Minnesota nights. I don't know. They've just been bringing me a lot of joy lately, even when they are a little chaos gremlins. I love- <laughs> what? I just love that chaos gremlins. They are. Nav- Zana is a chaos gremlin. Navi's also a chaos gremlin. Dory's just I old. know. I know. I sent you some Snapchats today of like I was working from home. <laughs> And Arthur was like, 
but I'm on your keyboard. Yeah. But I'm on your keyboard. And I was like, no. And so like, we like, had I'm to helping like, you work. <laughs> we had to like come to this weird little compromise where I was like, you can be on top of me, but you can't be directly on the keyboard. Cause like I'm working. And so we like found this weird in between and, but like, I wouldn't change it. I love having I love having right. him. I love having the dogs. I'm watching my friend's dog for a couple days and I love her and just the extra cuddles and having more heartbeats in the house is really nice. Yeah, it is. And the love. Exactly. Well, on a beautiful loving baby note. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find links to all of those things, links to all of our episodes, as well as links to our merch. Or buy me a coffee where you can donate for as little as $5 a month and we'll, or not month, once. And we will find a wine either of your choosing or to match your name or something even remotely related to you. <laughs> uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 a month and get some bonus content. We will have Kelly's Herstory Happenings coming out this month. And then I have one next month I'm very, very excited about. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we have 14 episodes out right now. As well as a few whining about and some historical af crossover videos also raise five stars wherever you listen because it gives us the warm fuzzies and it costs you absolutely nothing god knows we need the warm fuzzies right now so many warm fuzzies i don't think we've gotten any like apple podcast reviews yet this year so you could be the first start the trend babe Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye. I have to shovel 